Please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, get these guys' attention. Len and Larry and Gene have some Bibles, so just get your hand up. They'll get a Bible to you that is marked to Proverbs 3 so that you can follow along. Proverbs 3. When we worship the Lord through giving just a bit ago, I said, as I always do, that if you're a guest, you should not feel obligated to give. You're our guest, and we're simply glad that you're here. Now, the reason I say that pretty much every week, or one of the reasons I say it, is because I know that many people come to church thinking that the church wants their money. We don't, at our church, make money a hobby horse in our messages. If you've been with us for very long at all, you know that to be true. But I have to tell you, the topic of today's message is money. And it's not because of any specific reason or occasion, other than the fact that it's frequently referred to in the book that we're studying, have been for the last few weeks, will be for the next few, the book of Proverbs. Last week in the message from Proverbs, we saw that God's way is always better than the way of the world, and it is so in a number of areas. And in that message, we saw that Proverbs compares God's better way with the vain pursuit of wealth. Wealth is inferior to wisdom. Wisdom is always better than wealth. And so Proverbs 15, as we saw last week, it says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Or the next verse says, better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. And further, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Not only does the book of Proverbs speak often of this important topic of wealth or money or riches, but the Bible as a whole does that as well. There are 2,350 verses in the Bible on money. 2,350. One out of every six verses in the first three books of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses deals with that topic. Nearly half of Jesus' parables are on this subject. The fact is that Jesus, when he walked the earth, spoke more about money and how to use it than he did about both heaven and hell combined. And so you find a lot about money, wealth, riches in the Bible. It's way overdone and even abused on TV and in many churches. And if you add to that, it just makes people squirm when the topic is money. But sometimes that's just because this topic of money strikes a nerve for a lot of us. And the Bible does have a lot to say about it, as I've already demonstrated. And yet we still squirm when a guy like me gets up and says, today's topic is money. Leadership Magazine had an illustration of how we squirm about that and why we shouldn't. They said when you go to a doctor for your annual checkup, he or she will begin with a poke, a prod, and they'll press in various places, and all the while they're asking, does this hurt? Then they'll poke and prod some more and say, how about this? If you cry out in pain, one or two things has happened. Either the doctor has pushed too hard without having the right sensitivity, or more likely, 
there's something wrong and the doctor's going to say we'd better do some more tests because it's not supposed to hurt there. And you know, that's the case when pastors and preachers preach on this issue of financial responsibility. And we squirm. And I include myself when I study the issue. I squirm. We cry out in discomfort. We might criticize the message, perhaps even the messenger. And that's either because the pastor has pushed too hard without appropriate sensitivity, or because there's something wrong. And in the case where there's something wrong, we can only say, friends, we're in need of the great physician because it's not supposed to hurt there. It's not supposed to hurt. We shouldn't have to squirm the way we do when an issue that the Bible speaks of so frequently is brought up when we come together. So we're going to look at what the book of Proverbs has to say about this important matter. Let's ask the Lord to help us then as we do. Father, we are weak, feeble, unable to communicate your truth in a way that has effect. We depend completely upon the effectual nature of the living Word of God, upon the work of the Spirit of God, upon the hearts of your people, upon the hearts of those who may be here who came into this room not knowing you, but we pray will leave as new creations. And so we ask you to help us as we look into the pages of your word on this important topic. Give us open hearts and attentive minds. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we've seen that the book of Proverbs in particular and the Bible as a whole in general speak often on this subject of our relationship to money. And the question is why? Why so often does the Bible talk about that? Why does the Bible give so much material to this particular topic of money? Well, here's why. Because God cares about us. And the way that we relate to money says something very important about us. And God not only cares about us, but God cares that we value Him supremely. And as we are going to see, how we use or abuse and pursue money indicates what we value. And what we value is a matter of nothing less than worship. And this is why God speaks about it so often. Now, I have an outline that we've inserted in your program. I call your attention to that outline. And I say there that money talks about everything. The title of the message is Money Talks. Money talks about you. It talks about me. And it talks about you and me because, in fact, money talks about everything. To see this fact that money touches on everything, we need to remind ourselves of what money is. Actual coinage did not appear until the 6th century B.C. So before that, purchases were made in one of two ways. By barter or by bullion. Barter, most of you know, is just trading something to get something else rather than purchasing it with, with money. And the items that were traded often included livestock because animals could be easily assessed and they could be easily transported. And so in the Bible, one's wealth was often calculated based on the number of livestock that one owned. 
And so in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 2, the Bible speaks of Abram, later Abraham. Abram, it says, had become very wealthy in livestock. And for those who possessed personal wealth in the form of livestock, and then in addition to that had other commodities, but they needed to conduct transactions without the actual thing or things there, without having, say, the animals with them, then they would use bullion. They would use precious metals. Gold, silver, jewels. And that passage in Genesis 13, verse 2 says, Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. So when you read in the Bible about trading and cattle and goats, and you read about scales on which to weigh the money, the precious metals that are being used to pay, you're reading the same stuff that we do today, but we do it with money. Money is a medium. It's a means of exchange that we use for convenience. The coin and those paper notes, those dollar bills, only represent real money. And the plastic cards only represent our ability to pay later what we're purchasing now. Money represents the price that must be paid for something. How valuable that thing is deemed to be. And when we pay the price, or we borrow to pay the price, or we wish we had the wherewithal to do either one, we're saying it's that valuable to us. Money represents value that's been assigned to an item. And so one preacher has said this, dollars are like our little servants that we send out to bring back what we want. What we have determined is valuable enough to pay for. And so that's why I say money talks, and it talks about everything. Because there's this assigned value to it, and then we have to measure up whether we believe it is worth it, whether we believe it is valuable. Money talks. In fact, our Supreme Court has said in the last few years that money is free speech. Some of you might be familiar with that in a political realm. And so as a result, you can't limit campaign contributions, says our Supreme Court. I'm not asking whether you agree with that or not, but that's what they've said. Money talks to the extent that money represents what it is I want to say, and money is my ability to say it, says our Supreme Court. And so money talks about everything. It speaks, as I say in your outline, regarding what is valuable. Marketers tell us how good our life could be if we had their products. And in turn, that drives us to a consumer culture so that dollars and cents become the most important things because it's by those things that we get what we want. Sometimes money places value on what's really worthless. It says it's worthy, it says it's worth, it's valuable, but in fact, when you think about it, it is really, in the end, worth less. Think about status symbols in clothing. A tag, not just the price tag, but an emblem, indicates how much it's worth. You will pay extra money to have that cool thing on your shirt. Now, somebody could produce that same icon, and I could have the prestige of wearing it without the price. Oh, they already do that, don't they? 
That's how important that thing, how valuable that thing is to us. It's so valuable for us to have this, what's really worthless in the end in light of eternal values, to have the prestige that goes with being known of having the right clothes and the right car and the right house. It's so important to us that if I get a bargain at a second-hand place or at a discount clothier, you know, we've got to have a rule that says don't tell anybody where you got it because that would diminish the value. Why? Because what makes it value is the prestige of the thing that the marketers have told us is valuable. Do the same thing with our houses, with our cars. Our family found ourselves uh, earlier this year in a section of Illinois. It was a very wealthy section. My wife and my girls were in visiting with some folks who lived in this wealthy section. I was outside doing what the dad always does loading up the stuff or unloading. And I was out on the street in this wealthy uh, town with our Dodge Caravan and the tailgate open. And I'm watching a car zoom by me. And I watched this for about 15 to 20 minutes. And it dawns on me that every car that has gone by me, every last one, is a BMW. Now, i got nothing against BMWs, and if you have a BMW, good for you. But it is not by accident, right? That everybody in that town has to have a BMW. Because value has been associated with having that thing, the prestige is what has made it valuable, and folks have literally bought into it. Money speaks to what is deemed to be of value. And so downsizing of any sort communicates to others that things aren't going so well. He used to have a BMW, now he's got a minivan. So money places value. And we have to evaluate whether or not it's truly value. Sometimes it places value on what's really worthless. Other times it places value on what is worthwhile. But money lies about its ability to produce what's worthwhile. So take the issue of security. I want this worthwhile thing. You want this worthwhile thing of having security. It's worthwhile. Money money promises that security, but the truth is it can't deliver. The family that scrapes enough together to buy a house finds that the tools to work on it, the furnishings for it, all the accessories cost much more than they may have anticipated. The person who finally begins making enough to afford a new car to replace the old one realizes the increased insurance premiums, the higher car payments, all the other things pile on with great intensity. Or the investor who parlays a small amount into a large and growing portfolio finds himself under constant pressure to keep up with the market. He runs the risk of it all collapsing like a house of cards. Oh, don't we know that? He runs that risk, and even if it doesn't collapse, There's the pressure and the nervousness of what might happen, all of which outweigh the security that it was supposed to bring. Wayne House says in his book on Proverbs, quote, man is frantically trying to earn enough to buy things that he's too busy to enjoy. Money can't satisfy. If you don't believe me, 
at least believe Mick Jagger. I can't get no satisfaction. And there's a man on the TV telling me how white my shirts could be. But he can't really be a man because he don't smoke the same cigarettes as me. I can't get none. No, no, no. (laughs) Money speaks to what's valuable. And I say in your outline, money speaks regarding what's important. These things we deem to be valuable, and so we think they're important for us then to have. But the deceptiveness of money is that much of what it delivers is worth less, and when it's applied to what's worthwhile, it can't deliver. And so, how much money do we need? John Rockefeller was asked that question, the billionaire, oil man. How much money do you need? Here's what's his answer. One more dollar. Leo Tolstoy is famous or infamous for writing War and Peace. This uh, long book that has become the stuff of jokes. You know, it's so long that... What are you trying to write? War and Peace? But he had these short stories as, as well. And he has a short story that's titled, How Much Land Does a Man Need? And in the story, there is a, a fellow who wanted to amass as much land as he could. He was told about a group of people that were simple-minded and had a bunch of land and he could probably negotiate with them and get it for a song. And so he went and talked to them and here's what they said. They said, here's what we'll do. We will sell you, give you all of the land that you want for a thousand rubles. All of the land that from dawn until dusk, until the sun rises, till the sun sets, you have one day and all of the land that you can walk around and mark off will be yours for a thousand rubles. He said, I can't believe it. These people are idiots. This is a marvelous deal. And so when the sun rose, he began to walk around and he began to mark off land. And then toward the end of the day, he realized that the sun was going down rapidly. He had to hurry to get back. He was so greedy that he was marking up so much land that it wasn't clear he was going to make it back. And he hurried to get back and indeed he made it just as the sun was setting. And all of the villagers cheered him on for his good fortune. And there he collapsed and died. For all of the effort he had to expend to amass the land. And Tolstoy ends that story by saying they buried him in a six foot plot. How much land does a man need? Two by six. Money speaks of what's valuable. It speaks of what's important. And so... Proverbs 23. In fact, will you turn there? We turn to chapter 23 of Proverbs. In verses 4 and 5, Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. That's a poetic way of saying you can't take it with you. And it may well leave you before you're gone. So think of it this way, friends. 
What we value is what we deem to be of worth. What is worthy of our investment. What we value is what we deem to be worthy, important enough for us to invest in. Now that word worthy, worth, is related to a very important word for us. Because in Old English, the word for worship was worth-ship. You see, when we engage in worship, when we come together on the Lord's Day, we engage in worship. But every moment of every day, we're engaging in worship. We are assigning worth, we're assigning value to God. What we value is what we deem to be of worth. And the question is then, do we deem stuff to be of more worth than God? And very often, that is the case. It becomes a matter of worship. That's why Jesus contrasted worship of the true and living God with the worship of money. And He said, you cannot serve both God and money. And all of us have this latent in our deceptive hearts. Every last one of us, friends. I read an article this past week from the New Yorker magazine. Or excuse me, it was Vanity Fair magazine. And Michael Lewis wrote this long but unbelievably good article about the financial crisis in Greece. You guys have all heard about Greece having their woes. I'm telling you, you need to read this article. It's unbelievable. I wish I could tell you all about it. But at the beginning of the article, he says this. The tsunami of cheap credit that rolled across the planet between 2000 and 2007 wasn't just about money. It was temptation. By the way, this man's an atheist. He says it wasn't just about money, it was temptation. It offered entire societies the chance to reveal aspects of their characters that they could not normally afford to indulge. Entire countries were told, the lights are out, you can do whatever you want to do, and no one will ever know. And what they wanted to do with money in the dark varied. Americans wanted to own homes far larger than they could afford and to allow the strong to exploit the weak. Icelanders wanted to stop fishing and become investment bankers. Do you know Iceland had a crisis as well? They did. They wanted to stop fishing and become investment bankers and to allow their alpha males to reveal a theretofore suppressed megalomania. The Germans wanted to be even more German. The Irish wanted to stop being Irish, he says. But it's a very insightful comment right at the beginning. And then he goes on to show how that happened. It revealed aspects of character that now money allowed them to indulge. And that's the case for every one of us. Hear this, friends. Money talks to everything. And money talks, I say in your outline, to everybody. And that's why our songs so often speak of money. And our movies so often speak of money. Follow the money. The informant said to Bob Woodward in the Watergate scandal and the movie All the President's Men, follow the money, show me the money. Our songs say money, 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 money. There's a song with just that title. Or Madonna became famous by singing, We're living in a material world and I'm a material girl. 
going back a number of years, Billy Preston said, nothing from nothing leaves nothing. And you got to have something if you want to be with me. Because I told you that I'm a soldier in the war on poverty. It talks to everybody. You know, in just a few months, we're going to watch uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Fifteen times. And you remember the story. George Bailey is ready to do himself in because he doesn't have enough money. He's going to kill himself. People are doing that. He's going to kill himself, but he's saved by Clarence the angel. As Clarence is trying to explain to him that I've come to heaven, and George is trying to figure this out, and he's saying, look, little fella, just leave me. Don't, don't bother me. What do, you, what do you want, some money? And Clarence says, we don't use money. We don't meet, use money in heaven. And George says, well, you know, it comes in pretty handy down here. It speaks to everybody because he's right. It does come in pretty handy down here. And so we say things like, I'm serving the almighty dollar, or I'm just chasing the American dream, or I'm just out there trying to make a buck, and on it goes. And it speaks to everybody, I say in your outline, whether you have plenty or whether you have little. It speaks to those who have plenty. And I said to you last week, when we briefly touched on this issue of wealth, that when you see rich, wealthy in the Bible, riches, don't dismiss that as the Donald Trumps of our day. In biblical times, that would have been you and me, the rich. Because remember, in biblical times, as in most of history, it was a subsistence culture. People just eked out a living just enough for the dead. We live in a unique time in history where regular folk like us, not nobility, middle class people can have discretionary income. That would be considered rich. You have your food, you have your clothing, you have your shelter, and then you have something, if you have anything left over, to decide what to do with. And so it speaks to those who have plenty. That would be, that would be us. And Jesus said with regard to that, so pernicious is this issue of money. He said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Hard. Why hard? Because money has these characteristics. Money competes with God for, for worship. It's hard, but Jesus went on to say, not impossible, because with God, all things are possible. But money speaks to those who have plenty, and it speaks as well to those who have little. And despite my urgings to the contrary, most of us here still consider ourselves as having little. Fine, and consider ourselves that way. Money still speaks to us and still tempts us. Think of it this way. How many times have you thought or said, I'm willing to give... Stuff I don't have. How many people have said, you know, if I had this much, I would do this? We are all willing to give what we don't have. And so, if I had a million dollars, I'd buy a green dress. But not a real green dress, that's cruel. Some of you know what that means. But just if I had it, we are all interested in giving what we don't have, but of course that press puts no pressure on us. Listen to what the Word of God says. Give according to your means. 
For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So money speaks to everything, and money speaks and tempts everyone, no matter what economic condition we are in, plenty or little. And so with that, money speaks, friends, to you and speaks to me. Money places value. And how we use it or misuse it speaks then to what we value. Money tells us to value things that are worth less, prestige and recognition, making a name for ourselves. It also values things that are worthwhile, things like security, but it can't deliver. And so the question then for you and for me is, in what, no, in whom will we invest? In what, better, in whom will we invest? And it is shameful when the answer that comes from the people who name the name of the true and living God, who are followers of Jesus Christ, when the answer to that is no different than what the world says. But so often that's the case. In whom, in what will we invest? Jesus said famously in Matthew 6, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And I've highlighted the word for there. You see, Jesus has the word for there. Because he is saying in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, My people are different. My people march to the beat of a different drummer. My people have radically different values than the world. He goes from chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 to show how radically different the follower of Christ is from those who are in the world. And in the midst of that, with regard to riches, he says, Do not worry about these things, for, because, that's what they do. That's not what you do. And if you do that, then how are we different than those who do not know the true and living God? Do not worry about what you eat, drink, or wear. For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first. What's important? What am I going to invest in? In whom am I going to invest? The enterprise of God Almighty and His kingdom. And His righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. It's amazing how many times in the Bible the Word of God contrasts the view of the world with the view that the follower of Christ is supposed to have. Back in the first part of your Bible in Deuteronomy, I love this line. Their rock, those who don't know the true and living God, their rock, small r, is not like our rock. On whom do we depend? On what do we depend? Money? Like the pagans? Their rock is not like our rock. And so money speaks to what we value. It speaks then in turn to what we prioritize. The things that we are told by the marketers are so important can become important enough for us to be willing to go into debt in order to get the stuff. Proverbs tells us in chapter 22. I thought I had it on the screen. It's in chapter 22. We turn just uh, one page back to Proverbs 22 and verse 7. 
22 and verse 7, the borrower is servant to the lender. And so a significant portion of the borrower's energies each week has to be devoted to satisfying the debt along with the massive interest charges that accrue. And the borrower cannot freely use this money because the lender has claim to it. In biblical times, that could literally bring about slavery. But it's not a whole lot different, says Alan Ross, from the modern debtor who's working to pay off his bills. And likewise, we deem these things so important that we go into debt to get them, or we might help somebody else to go into debt to get them. And, and Proverbs has something to say about that. Same chapter, 22, look down in verse 26. Proverbs 22, verse 26. Do not be a man who... And then the last part says, puts up security for debts. In common terms, that means cosigning. I go into debt for stuff I can't afford, and I help other people go into debt for stuff they can't afford. And Proverbs says, that's always dangerous. Now, I should just say that there are portions of the Bible that say it is good to help someone who is poor and even be willing to be a guarantor for somebody like that. And so the, the lesson here is, be careful, it is always dangerous, is the principle. And then lastly, in your outline, money speaks to you, it speaks to me, it speaks about what we value, what we prioritize, and it speaks regardless of our circumstances. I have on the screen for you Paul's words as he was in circumstances in under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard for doing nothing other than preaching the gospel, but he says these famous words in the last chapter of his letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then next, I'm going to show you on the screen this verse that we often quote, but we don't put it in that context. But it's in that context that he writes, I can do everything. Through him who gives me strength. Now friends, here's what this means. It requires that we hold on to material things with a very loose grip. A very loose grip. We read about some people in the Bible who learned to do that. Paul is one, obviously. The writer of the Hebrews said this about those to whom he was writing. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. I wonder what the American church today, with its prosperity gospel, with its emphasis upon money and amassing and having stuff and baptizing it in Christian terminology, I wonder how well we would have done in the first century under persecution and the confiscation of our property. But you accepted joyfully the confiscation of your property. Why? Because you knew this. You yourselves had better and lasting possessions. And friends, that's the shame of it all. That when we pursue things the way the culture does, when we buy into the lie that money speaks and communicates, when we do that, we look no different than the pagans, no different than the world. When in fact, we ourselves have better and lasting possessions. And so, lastly, Proverbs 3 and verse 9. Proverbs 3 and verse 9. 
Proverbs 3 and verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now you all remember what wisdom is. We defined it a few weeks ago when we started this series. It is skill for living, skillful living. To put it another way, it's using what you've been given as directed. So what we have has come from God, and it's to be used as He has directed, and that includes our wealth, our money. And we must then ask ourselves, if we're going to honor God with our money, are we using His money as He has directed? I'll ask you a few questions. As I ask myself, we'll be done. Have we failed to consider the priority of wisdom living over monetary gain? Do I really have to work as much as I say I do? Do I really have to amass as much as I say I do? All of us have to ask and answer those questions. Have I failed to consider the priority of wisdom living over monetary gain? Secondly, has our pursuit of money taken over our lives so that we're letting more important things go? Has our pursuit of money taken over our lives so that we're letting more important things go? And lastly, Have you made a practice of honoring God with your money? In the way that you live, in the way that you give, in the way that you spend. You see, it says something about us. Money talks to everything and to everybody. And it says something very important about who we are and where our heart's devotion lay. Let's bow before the Lord together. Father, we thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for helping us to unpack what your word says about this important time. If you have chosen to speak on it at all, much less as often as you do, because the God who made all that we see owns all that we see, and he knows the destructive power, the alluring power of all that we see. So thank you for instructing us. Thank you for giving us a light for living. And I ask you, Lord God, to help us to make good on the commitments that your Holy Spirit has prodded us to make this day so that we can glorify you with the monetary sustenance that you have provided. Help us to bring glory to you in the way we use and view money. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.